Welcome to the first Keto Cubus MMA talk with my bro, Augustus Sirikis. And you thought my name was difficult to pronounce. Maybe this is a one-off, maybe I'll make a hundred more of these. Who knows? Depends if you'll enjoy them. In this podcast, we focus on the UFC Fight Island 3 event, amazing performances of multiple fighters, including Hamzat Kimaev, aka Habib 2.0, Tom Aspinall, and of course, the guys from the main event. We also touch upon our martial arts backgrounds, and positive effect that these sports can have on young, especially troubled kids. While I have proudly represented the judo community, my brothers had quite impressive results in the Kyokushin karate world. You may not have known this, but MMA has played a crucial part in my mental and physical evolution, including shocking new levels of confidence. And hence, I feel extremely passionate about the subject. After listening to us blabber, maybe you will too. If you like this educational MMA, Keto, Low Carb, Carnivore, IF and other content, consider supporting my work by going to patreon.com slash ketocubus. That's K-E-D-O-K-U-B-A-S. Thank you for allowing me to move out of my parents' basement. Peace. Hey bro, so first of all, I was supposed to have this podcast with another up-and-coming fighter, but that didn't pan out. So I decided to invite the second most passionate person that I know about the sport, aka my brother. So yeah, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's a strange feeling as if I was, you know, a replacement fighter who's coming up for a fight. Um, I didn't get to have such a good camp. I didn't get to, you know, control the whole weight cut. But I'm so passionate to jump into the ring that I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have to cut weight, so yeah, you, has, <laughs> you have more energy, more more, more things to say about. But yeah, so yeah, we're here to discuss the recent UFC event, uh, the Fire Island 3. It was seriously one of the best events I've ever seen. It was amazing from start to finish. Uh, it really reminded me of a numbered event, like a pay-per-view event. Um, the main thing I, I enjoyed about it is because it had the perfect ratio of legends of the game, of up-and-coming fighters, and uh, and people who were aiming for the title shot. So at least it felt like the energy in the air was there, and that was amazing. But yeah, what are your first thoughts on the whole event? I mean, I really, I'm really glad that uh, you kind of got my attention to the event, because you know, with these fight nights, I often you know, just watch the main fight and that's it. Maybe, you know, the the second to the end fight. And uh, I usually skip the fighters that I don't know. But because you told me that it's such a great event, I watched also fights of the fighters that I didn't know that well. And it really paid off. So, you know, um, I'm glad that uh, that you got my attention to, to the event. Yeah, these kind of fight nights usually have many players who make their debut in in UFC but at least from my perspective like UFC fails to push these fighters like 50% of the time 50% of the time like they say oh this is gonna be the next John Jones or whatever but they just fall flat and like uh, lose people's attention but yeah with fighters such as uh, I need to learn to remember his name, but Hamzat Kimaev or Tom Aspinall. Um, these fires just surpassed people's expectations. 
and now everybody's talking about him, at least Hamzat Kimayev, or as people now know him as Khabib 2.0, or his manager calls him Khabib 3.0. But yeah, also before we jump into into the event, what do you think about the whole Fire Island idea? How, how... I don't know, I mean, um, I didn't look too much into it, but uh, I it seems to me that... Uh, especially in the context of the states, you know, where they had to, you know, suspend practically all sports and sporting events. And the fact that they've put uh, so much effort into, you know, continuing the sport and the feedback that I get also from the fighters, like they're very appreciative of the things, uh, the way things happen. They feel that they are taken care of. They feel that things are, you know, made safe. And uh, we've got... Uh, you know, um, many events one after another in quite a short uh, time span. So I don't know. It's it's just a great payoff, you know, with with the whole virus thing and so many of you know not just sports but all sorts of entertainments are suspended. You know, they're stopped, and to get such a diamond as you know all of the events of the Fight Island, it it seems great. Yeah, I agree. And like events such as these, uh, like this fight night like people just like they focus on the pay-per-view events which are amazing in the fight island but they just forget that also some of the fight nights are amazing the upcoming one isn't gonna be as as spectacular but yeah this one this one was really great and yeah i love i also wanted to say that on the topic of you know the way they promote uh, events or fighters that aren't known as well as others I like one thing that they're doing on their YouTube channel. They started making these videos like Fight Night 174 or whatever, and then fighters you should know. So they're making these little kind of trailers or, you know, um, things that supposed to get you on track, get you to know fighters that uh, uh, you don't know. And, uh, and uh, as many would say, if you don't know, now you know. Yeah, maybe. You get to know the yeah, many fighters used and they still complain that they're underpromoted. But at least from the way I see things is if you do the right things, the company is going to promote you. If you're like Hamzat Kimayev who fights on then on like has two fights in under 10 days, um, moves the different weight classes. If you want to fight and you're not going to be like um, too negotiating or too picky then like yeah the company is gonna promote you and they're gonna support that kind of approach to fighting which i mean that's exactly why fighters such as gilbert burns are getting the attention that they're getting um yeah obviously kimayev um I, yeah that's that's why not everyone can be conor mcgregor and choose the fights that they want choose the the pay that you're gonna get and yeah so if you want to fight they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be on your side in his case especially the fact that he fought you know with just a pause of 10 days i'm i don't know i would be really interested to know if uh, you know if that's uh, just his thing if he decided and he wished to do so is he the only one that wished to do so? Or were there other fighters, you know, that would, uh, you know, would really like to fight, with, you know, just in one event after another, but they didn't get, got the chance. 
So I don't know if uh, this whole thing where he was able to, you know, have uh, to participate in different events, like with a very short pause, was it uh, just because of his initiative or was it also a special opportunity given to him by UFC because of some reasons that I'm I don't know. almost 100% certain it was just him. Like there are fighters who can say, oh, I can fight later tonight or I can fight tomorrow. But I'm pretty sure they're just saying that for promotion. And when the, when the FC calls, like there are, like I, I'm pretty sure there are two fighters, Hamzat Kimaev and Donald Cerrone, like fighters who actually would agree to fight like every other day almost. But, but yeah, so let's start, let's start with that fight. I'm glad it was part of the main event. Um, yeah, so Hamzat Kimaev versus Riz, Riz McKee. Um, yeah, that was, that was an insane performance. What made it even more impressive, the fact that he fought 10 days prior. He made his debut where he looked just as amazing. He fought at middleweight and then he had to cut weight to, to welterweight. And yeah, both first round finishes, both extremely dominant. Um, yeah, that was, uh, and yeah, the main, the main thing about, about, Khabib 2.0 is that um, he has dominance level that's just as big as Khabib but I feel like because he's a welterweight because he's a bigger guy um, he's way more confident in his power so he's going for the finish all the time that's why he has so many first round finishes and yeah just the fact that he's slightly bigger slightly more powerful and extremely confident in his abilities He's even more exciting to watch than somebody like Khabib. So what are your thoughts on, on that fight in particular? I guess, I mean, it's, you know, when you see fights like that, there are a couple of things that crosses my mind. First, like, yeah, on the first sight, he's really amazing. He's extremely dominant and so on. But uh, immediately I start thinking, isn't this a situation where he maybe didn't get a proper opponent? Maybe he, you know, he didn't get someone who would challenge him uh, that much. And maybe it's because of a bit of, uh, maybe circumstances, the way uh, who, is, who he is fighting have something to do with the fact that he, show, he looked so dominant. But nevertheless, I mean, yeah, he looks great. I mean, um, his, his, his uh, ability to take someone down is like extremely quick. I mean, he's really fast. I would be interested to see in the future, you know, does he have any stand-up game at all? Um, because we got to see during, you know, the evolution of Khabib that uh, he's got a stand-up game. He's not that bad of a boxer. We got, we got to see, you know, the famous, uh, you know, punch that rocked uh, McGregor and so on. And uh, I guess we got to see him... Uh, uh, in his stand-up game a bit more uh, against Yekwenta. So, I mean, I would be interested in Kimaev's case to, in the future to see if he can, you know, trade shots, if he can, you know, kick and so on. How, how's much he of a stand-up fighter? But as a ground-and-pound fight, fighter, as a wrestler, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool. I mean, um, the, the way he took his opponent... What's his name? The Rich English McKee. guy. I think that's how McKee. The way he took McKee and quite effortlessly carried him to his corner. I mean, you don't see that often, where you pick your opponent up from the ground, 
and you carry that opponent to your corner. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, after that, it was obvious he was going to win. Yeah, and the thing is, like, obviously, it's his second fight. The UFC isn't going to give him, like, a top 10 guy or, or anything like that. So it makes sense. But, like, as far as I know, like, the, the, the guy he was fighting, he... I'm not sure if it... I think it was also his debut in UFC, but he was also a prospect. Like, they were also pushing him. They also fought, like, either Chimaev... Or maybe he's gonna be like some sort of a star in the near future. And the weird thing is, like, uh, and yeah, about uh, about Kimaev striking. I already like, even though he showed so little of his striking on his feet, I still think he's already way better than uh, than Khabibov striking. And as he said, like, uh, like he he didn't ha he didn't have the opportunity to show off his boxing, but he has everything. Like in his previous fights. Like he wants to box, he boxes, but he listens to his corner, which is which is really good sign. His corner says no, go take him down. Fine, he he go he goes do that, and I think that's another reason maybe why he's so successful. He's extremely confident in himself, but he's also confident in his uh, teammates and his corner. So like uh, that's why. Yeah, that's also one of the things that I noticed. You know. Uh, during the fight itself and also when he's talking in interviews like he has extreme respect for his uh, teammates extreme respect for his uh, corner and uh, he's also always listening to them so i guess uh, he could have you know just took magi and took him down at where he had him but uh, he decided to move him to his corner just to hear the advices of his uh, coaches I mean, the, this kind of relationship with the coach, with coaches, it could be, I guess, yeah, one of the, you know, key things that uh, get him uh, so successful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's a big sign of, of a good fighter that he doesn't, yeah, like from, from, like you could say at first glance that he's kind of douchey at like he's calling out, he had his first fight, he's calling out, I think, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, these guys. But the thing is like, uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, of um, uh, what's the guy's name that uh, just returned to UFC uh, bantamweight. Oh, am I forgetting his name? Uh, they just had the fight that, that that's calling out Cody Garbrandt. Uh, Not sure. Uh, Sean O'Malley. Ah, Sean uh, O'Malley. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, yeah. Sorry for forgetting his name. Um. So yeah, he's also kind of like both of them seem kind of douchey just because they didn't have that high level of comp of the competition. But yeah, they're just like they know how powerful they are. They know how how good their abilities are, and that's why their confidence is so. But yeah, confidence is key. Like if if you if you in any way doubt yourself, I think that can be hugely negative. And, uh... but, you know, with O'Malley, I think that what I, at least what I'm seeing, the way I, you know, he pops up in social media and so on, he seems to have this, you know, risk of fame getting to his head too much. Like, you know, he seems to have this risk that's maybe not, uh, it didn't, uh, it's not popping up that much now, but in the near future, he seems to have this risk of, you know, being too much of a star. This kind of a McGregor phenomenon he could have. 
because he's extremely liked by people. He's extremely flashy, so everyone likes him. Everyone enjoys listening to him, watching him, and so on. With Kaimiev, I'm not so sure. Maybe it's just my, you know, cultural prejudice, and I see him coming from a different background, a different cultural background, where he wouldn't have so much, uh, so much ambition to become this famous person and so on. O'Malley seems to enjoy and to want to be a famous person. That's why I see the risk of him getting to his head. In Kamiev's case, yes, I see him as extremely confident in himself, like uh, a bit cocky, I guess, at times. But I don't see him in a way that uh, he risks of becoming, you know, um, too much of a star or, or, or letting fame getting in his head too much. Yeah, I feel like both of those guys are dealing, I mean, uh, the, uh, the amount of uh, fandom that Kimayev's going to get is going to grow and grow. And, and the same with Sean O'Malley, and they're going to deal with this... Uh, with uh, with with this uh, pressure in different ways, I think they're both gonna do well. Like John uh, O'Malley had the, had his layoff, he had time to reflect on on his whole career and how people perceive him. I think they're both gonna be huge stars of the UFC, and and clearly UFC and Dana White is respecting that and um, and giving them the chance to shine. Another thing about about his opponent. I've looked at his record, and he had he had quite a few submission wins. So, like from from the performance that uh, that Habib 2.0 had, it would it seemed as if his opponent was just brand new to grappling in general. Like it seemed like it was his first day at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. But uh, but yeah, the way the way he picked it up. Another thing, like I, I'm, I'd be curious to see how Kimayev does in, in how he would have done in the second round and the third round, because even during his interview, it seemed like he was, uh, he was, like, he was fairly tired and out of air. It makes sense because, like, he was going for the finish, but yeah, if somehow his opponent would have survived, made it to the second round, to the third round, it would, yeah, it would it would be interesting to see. I guess because you know this whole dominating round and pound uh, working, it's it's also quite uh, energy consuming. You might know this. You might know a bit quite uh, more about this. And correct me if I'm wrong. But couldn't it be the case that you know um, McGee and maybe some other Kaimiev's uh, opponents in MMA, they might have more experience in uh, jujitsu, and Kaimiev just as Khabib. They come from a wrestling background. Like, you know, they're both ground games, uh, jiu-jitsu and wrestling. But it would seem that uh, some of the specific, you know, ground techniques that Khabib uses and uh, Kamiev uses as well. Like, you know, the way they uh, strap their legs around their opponent's legs and uh, their opponent is not able to not only stand up but practically to move and you know the way also there they have this expression of the Dagestanian cuff where they grab their opponent's wrist it would seem to me that there are maybe some techniques or some tendencies in wrestling that might be i don't know a bit surprising or a bit new uh, to fighters of MMA who have uh, most experience in jiu-jitsu like uh, as for their ground game yeah but still like it seemed as if he hadn't had a single 
like any type of grappling lesson mm -hmm. as opponent like he didn't there wasn't a single point where it was like oh he can do something from there because a good brazilian jiu-jitsu guy he would uh, he would be able to fight off his back and look for submissions or anything but but yeah i mean it was clear that his opponent was primarily a strike and not particularly good grappler um i'm pretty sure dylan dennis who's uh, who's even though he's at bellator but yeah he also called Kumayev that would be a interesting fight because both of them are insanely good grapplers but but yeah another thing about Kimaev and habib is that they don't seem too muscular the way they handle guys is so dominant and like uh, the weight distribution is probably a key thing but like yeah neither Kimaev nor habib is is so muscular and um yeah that's that speaks for something i don't know if it's just uh, just the strength of mind, the endurance aspect of something. And I guess also technique, you know. Yeah. In Kimaev's case, you could see, you know, that the punches that he was throwing when he had his opponent on the ground, they weren't exactly knockout punches, you know. It, none of them would be, the probably wouldn't have been the one, and they weren't, none of them was the one that would knock his opponent out. But he gave a good volume. He had, you know, he's throwing them one after another quite quickly. And uh, and that also, I guess, that uh, makes a huge impact for the judge, you know, for, for the referee. I mean, for the referee who sees, who's seeing this, he's seeing his opponent receiving one shot after another. And when there are so many of them, even though they might, they're, you know, they're not knocking the opponent out, they're still giving the impression that the opponent has nothing left to do. And the opponent, you know, is... is, is, is uh, in a dead end. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes like uh, the same in Khabib's fights and in Kimaev's fights. It looks like, yeah, their opponents are just hopeless and like just wa waiting for the round to finish or, or for them to get finished. Um, but yeah, let's also talk about the other guy that's that's talked maybe less than Kimaev, but I think he had as, as, an impressive, as impressive as performance is Tom Aspinall. Uh, he fought in the prelim, so maybe that's why people, not so many people saw the fight. Um, he, he fought another guy that was, that was, fa uh, that was fairly known uh, coming off a layoff, um, Jay Collier. Um, yeah, what did you think of that fairly quick uh, finish? I think he finished in 45 seconds or, or something. Um, yeah, what did you think of that fight? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know Tom at all before this event, and uh, I was uh, impressed with uh, the way he moves, you know? Like, um, there were a lot of comments I saw online, and I completely agree with them that, you know, he has, uh, a, you know, the whole his whole body movement is as if he was a quite lighter fighter. So seeing him so quick and so easy on his feet, you know, it, it, it was quite impressive. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, all I knew about him is that he's one of Darren Till's teammates. And um, yeah, like when I watched him fight, he seriously reminded me of White, Francis and Ghana. Because uh, the way he, like for his size, he, of course he's not as muscular and not as lean as Francis and Ghana, but he's still pretty lean. And yeah, I've heard commentators, I think, say he moves like a welterweight, and he does. Um, yeah, that was, that was a really good performance. I can't wait to see how he does with 
with uh, with better guys against better guys um yeah i'm i'm looking forward to his career i feel like the heavyweight division can use uh, fighters like him that move fast and um yeah are extremely exciting to watch um yeah what about what about the co-main i think it was the co-main yeah uh, alexander gustafsson versus versus Ver, uh, verdum what did you maybe it wasn't the no it wasn't the co-main event yeah, it was the co-main event no uh it was before the co-main yeah. event um yeah against against verdum what did you think of that fight um do you think do you think that uh, Gustafsson had the opportunity to show off how he looks at heavyweight or was that too short of a time frame? Unfortunately, I think it was too short. I mean, I was really excited to see him get back. I mean, there's these two, you know, two famous opponents of John Jones, Anthony Pettis and Gustafsson, are two fighters that I always felt, I don't know, kind of sorry for. Because they, they both seem to me good fighters that, you know, um, don't get to shine because they, they always have to fight the probably greatest of all time, at least as some people say, you know. And because of how great John Jones is, I always, it always, you know, it seemed a pity to me that uh, Gustafson and uh, Pettis didn't... Uh, didn't Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith, sorry. Anthony Smith, yeah, didn't get to, to be so much in the spotlight. And when Gustafsson moved to heavyweight, and when he came back, it, you know, I had big hopes for him, and I was really glad. I thought that maybe this will be his weight class, maybe this will be a place where, he, you know, he'll have the opportunity to, to, to shine and so on. But uh, unfortunately, I... I didn't get that good of an impression of him, you know, maybe maybe it's just because uh, of the length of the fight, which wasn't that long. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, despite this, uh, this, uh, this loss, he'll be able to, you know, climb up the ladder in a heavyweight division in the future. I hope that he won't be forgotten. And I hope that he, you know, will be able to, I don't know, cement himself in the heavyweight division in the upcoming events. Yeah, honestly, I thought he would look better as a heavyweight um, because he had insane speed at light heavyweight. And I thought he, if he were to carry some of that speed at heavyweight, he would do great. Um, but yeah, it just, it was a really short fight, so I can't comment too much on it. But uh Gustafsson weighed in at 240 and I think Verdun weighed in at 242 and I feel like if he were to weigh in at, at a light weight maybe 220 or 225 he would have carried more of his speed I mean he didn't look overweight or out of shape but yes he was he was noticeably slower than he was at light heavyweight and um may and yeah that was that was kind of surprising he kind of reminded me Obviously not as fat, but as uh, as from Avengers, the fat Thor. Um, he's also, uh, I think, from supposed to be from Sweden or whatever. But yeah, he did seem more out of shape than usual. Which, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just biased because because the fight was so quick. I'm glad that he's not as down in, as he was after the Smith fight or after the John Jones fight. 
like um yeah i mean obviously verdum is uh, is as experienced as it gets is uh, a lot of like as i saw fires commenting on the fight almost like nine out of ten people were saying that gustafson is gonna win because verdum is like or he's expired or whatever but but yeah like the power oh maybe I wasn't really thought like Gustafsson would would shine as a heavyweight. He was talking about moving to heavyweight ages ago when he was on top. I I remember seeing him on on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was saying how good he feels heavyweight as a heavyweight because he was fairly big uh, at light heavyweight. So uh, yeah, and I wanted him to move up a weight class uh, a while ago. Um, yeah, I I still think he has potential. Like he has to sort of see what's his perfect weight but but I think he there is definitely potential for him some somewhere. Um yeah why don't we talk about the main event um Till versus uh, Till versus Whitaker. Um yeah do you think there's any chance that could have been scored a draw or do you have Whitaker winning clearly? I don't know, you know when I'm, most of the time, when I'm watching main events, I'm quite a biased fan, you know. And this, I'm not, I don't want to, but unconsciously, I usually decide or pick a fighter that I want to win. And, you know, all of the scoring that, going, going, that is going in my head during the fight, it always, like, you know, it leans towards the fighter that I want to win. So for some reason, and I can't tell you really why, I'm not sure... I wanted uh, Whitaker to win during this fight, and uh, I kind of scored it also that, you know, for him. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. With, I don't think it could have been a draw. I mean, I still didn't seem in his best in this fight. If you know, uh, I think that he looked better in uh, his previous fights. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, if we got to see the best of Till versus Whitaker, it could have been maybe, you know, been a draw or maybe the fight maybe even could have gone to Till. But uh, the way it happened this time, I think that, you know, um, the win is earned by Whitaker. Yeah, it, I mean, uh, I also think that the Whitaker did slightly more than, than Till to, to win. I didn't want either of the guys to lose. I'm a big fan of both Whitaker and Till as most people are. I don't think anybody really hates either of the guys because they're really they're really honest about their weaknesses, what they're like they're just honest people unlike most UFC top guys, at least in my opinion, and in fans' opinion, apparently. Um but yeah, I mean when it comes to when it comes to the first round, I think that was one of the best Tills performances I've ever seen. Like when he when he knocked uh, uh, Whitaker down and like the way he the way he moved and uh, his striking was superb and I mean it makes sense why after the second round he wasn't doing as well I'm pretty sure you've heard that he that he tore his knee yeah yes yeah, so that uh, that would explain why um 
that would explain why I can just up. Um, that would explain why, like after after that kick of Whitaker's happened, he threw like four kicks afterwards. Like uh, like he was fighting with half of his resources. So yeah, um, I still was impressed. Like even with the Tony, I'm not sure the full extent, but he was he was fighting amazing. And um, I just don't think like it was a title. It, it was a fight that the winner was supposed is supposed to get a title shot uh, after Paulo Costa fights uh, fights Israel Adesanya. So one of them was supposed to get a title shot, and I think and I do think that Dana White is gonna give Whitaker the chance. And I just don't think that was that was. Uh, that was as clear cut of a win to give the title shot. Um, I don't know if, if it's... I guess you could say in some way that, you know, Whitaker is a bit cursed to, to get these kind of situations, you know, his fights, uh, I, I guess both of his fights with Romero also were, you know, a lot of people debated them, a lot of people had doubts whether he win, did he win or did he not, did he deserve to be the champion and so on. I guess some people see this fight also as, you know, debatable in, in, in the way it got uh, judged. But uh, I don't know. I mean, um, I thought that he fought a smart fight. I fought, think that he fought, uh, you know, a careful but uh, effective fight. And uh, I mean, uh, I was uh, I was expecting, you know, some huge power shots from Till. And uh, I thought that there was at least a slight chance of him uh, knocking Whitaker out. And the fact that he chose this, you know, um, careful uh, approach where he would, you know, use a lot of leg kicks. He would uh, keep, the, keep, keep his distance, not, you know, get, uh, not, uh, not got provoked. And he didn't get provoked by a lot of Tilt's pains. So I think that, uh, I think that he did enough. And I'm, yeah, I see this tendency of his fights where he has these debatable wins but i still think that he earned his win i feel like in this case i'm probably the only one thinking that like either this was a draw or till one i feel like most people did think that that Whitaker win um yeah uh, i i saw some people saying that the fight was boring i definitely don't agree with that i feel like like both of the guys uh, did say there was like a chess match and that's exactly how it was. I thought the fight was actually going to go similar to Whitaker's fight against Israel Adesanya. I thought that Till was going to keep his distance with uh, with Whitaker and just find his shots. But he fought much closer uh, with in much closer range. Kind of similar to his fight against... Uh, uh, against uh kelvin gastelum but yeah till is getting much more uh much more technical which i'm glad that he does like i think that he definitely was staying way too long in the welterweight division i'm glad that he moved up now he fights way more technically and i still think he is gonna get a title shot israel adesanya pointed that out for till to not give up and that eventually he thinks they're gonna meet and i do think that's gonna happen um yeah that was that was i did enjoy that fight a lot um i like till's comments like he said like i don't think i lost i feel like we both won 
because like both of them did what they were supposed to do and like yeah that was that was a great performance and um yeah i feel like those two are gonna meet at some point as well i guess i guess my guess would be that some people could say that the fight was boring to them because there weren't you know a lot of there weren't a lot of uh, trading of shots I guess in these, you know, in lighter divisions, in bantamweight, in featherweight, in lightweight, you get uh, more fights where, you know, guys stand up in front of each other and they're trading shots one after another, one after another. As you know, as you get heavier, you get less and less, I guess, of those fights. In this case, you know, there were actually a lot of movement, a lot of feints and uh, a lot of, you know, strategizing and thinking and I guess for those people it wasn't you know as entertaining as it would be um, if they were you know trading one punch after another but for me personally it was still extremely exciting to see it wasn't you know it was different from uh, let's say Adesanya versus Romero where there you have like these static rounds where you know it there were both fights have this, uh, you know, tendency of, you know, not that much of an action, but in Whitaker versus Till, as opposed to Adesanya versus Romero, you had the, you know, you could see that they're always thinking, they're always strategizing, they're always fainting, and they're always coming up with ways that uh, they're trying to come up with ways that, you know, they can get their opponent. So, I mean, uh, it was it was an exciting fight for me, nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, both of the guys mentioned how stressful they felt throughout the fight and like afterwards. And I mean, you can feel that when both guys have the power to knock each other out and with all the feints. And for five rounds, like for five rounds, you have to be on edge. That some that yeah, one of the guys gonna move in. And I love that match. Um, the fact that it was like a chess match, but it also had. Uh, had explosive moments where both fights, uh, where both fighters like knocked each other down, and yeah, I'm I enjoy that fight, and I think it'll it'll be a great it'll be a great uh, rematch in the future. Um, so yeah, do you have any do you any do you have any thoughts about the upcoming UFC events? Um, there's gonna be a fight night this weekend, uh, Brunson versus. Uh, uh, I hope I remember the guy's name, Shabazian. Um, yeah, he's another up-and-coming star. At least that's what that's what uh, people think. And yeah, he has his first uh, his first big uh, big match against uh, against Brunson, and he's managed by Ronda Rousey. So that's another th- another reason why he's. Why he's okay. so talked about, and yeah, Dana White's also excited about him. I haven't seen too much about him, but I mean, it's clearly that uh, he's definitely have his biggest challenger, and um, uh, it'll definitely be his biggest challenge. And uh, do you have any thoughts who's who's gonna win that one? I didn't get to, I didn't got the time to look too much to in, into it, so I can't tell yet. You know, uh, I'll 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 have to look into it more. Yeah, and uh, yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, I just, I just wish that it's not gonna be another moment where UFC just pushing and pushing another star, and then the fall is so hard that I don't know. They don't, they, they, 
they don't recover. Uh, and many, there are many exciting fights in that card. Um, there's going to be after that. What do you think of that fight? I mean, I can't tell who's gonna win. I mean, uh, you know, um, it's <laughs> it seems you know a, le a legendary fight, and it's 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 been long waited. And uh, um, I mean, I most of the time throughout these last months, I look to once every once every while uh, every time in a while, I look at uh, some of DC's interview, you know, and uh, I see him, uh, you know contemplating his loss i see him um you know learning lessons from it and uh, i think that we'll see him in uh, quite a better you know situation equal quite a better uh, shape and and so on than his previous fight because uh, during the the his last fight with stipe I, you know i i kind of thought that he could have won but he didn't because of his own faults, you know, like um, just the way he himself acknowledged it, you know, that he got too carried away uh, in boxing, like he could have took the fight to the ground, but he didn't. He wanted to prove um, that he can win, you know, just by boxing. And that was a weird choice for me, you know, I mean, you can take this, you know, this this uh, this approach. And I guess it takes back us a bit to to. Khabib, who also um, wanted to, to prove that he can, you know, box in some matches. But at the end of the day, you know, if while trying to prove this thing, you end up losing the fight, then it's a pity. Then you haven't proved anything, you know. So in DC's case, I think that uh, I'm hoping for him, you know, to come to this fight, like uh, learn, uh, learn his lessons. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm expecting an exciting match here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure who I'm rooting for. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that I want that I want both fighters to win, which which is unfortunate. But the thing with DC, like he's been saying that oh he didn't listen to his coaches and like his coaches were saying to take him down and, and he didn't do that. I think that in some way discredits Stipe Miocic. I think he just didn't give DC a chance to take him down. I think he kept his distance beautifully. Um, defended the takedowns pretty efficiently and just yeah I think that that kind of discredits Miocic I don't think it's gonna be that easy like if DC is gonna have the mindset I'm just gonna take him down like Miocic knows that he's gonna try to do that I don't think it's gonna be that easy I think I think it's gonna be another stand-up fight in my opinion um, and I have no idea who's gonna win uh, I'm, you think that Stipe would have the would like it to be a stand-up fight? I mean, definitely. Yes, yeah, Stipe, Stipe does prefer, and he does defend takedowns quite well. Um, but like uh, other factors also come uh, come into play because uh, according to DC, it's his last fight, and I and I'm not so sure. Dana White also thinks that he has more fights left in him because he said he's gonna have his last fight. Retired 40, he's already 40. I think like he's just he's too good. He's too good at it, and like he's not out of shape. So I think he's gonna have more than that. But but yeah, maybe if he comes with that mindset that I need this amazing finish and then I can end my career like 
on this high tide, then then maybe he's gonna put an extra oomph into that fight. And yeah, it's it's definitely gonna be an interesting one. Um, we also didn't talk about uh, the Dan Hardy versus Herb Dean incident. Um, yeah, that was yeah the 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 event had everything. It had amazing performances. It had things. It had drama outside the cage. What do you think about that incident? Who's who's in the wrong? Who's more in the wrong, perhaps? I'm not sure. I mean, I got to I watched the you know the ending of the fight quite a couple of times, and I listened to what Herb Dean had to say, and uh, I listened to a part of uh, Dan Hardy's uh, some video where he was talking. It was quite a long. I think he made an hour-long video where he commented on the situation so i didn't listen to all of it but i at least i i i I tried to hear his perspective i mean i guess there are two things that you can talk about in the situation one the stoppage itself and the other thing is you know the relationship between uh, the referee the commentators and so on so talking about the stoppage itself i mean was it late? Yes. Is Herb Dean at fault here? I don't think so. Because as some uh, noticed, you know, I think that's very important to emphasize. Um, Herb Dean was behind the fighters. It was, uh, I think, uh, yeah, he, he only saw them from the back. When, uh, what's the guy's name that fell down, that got uh, knocked out? Um... I actually don't know. I think he was another. Uh, uh, oh, it's Guy Herbert. That's the guy's name. And his opponent? Uh, that was uh, Francisco Trinaldo. So, yeah, when Herbert felt down, uh, it, it, you could see that he was knocked out. But uh, when Herb Dean, you know, got around uh, Francisco's back, and he got when he saw Herbert lying on the ground, he saw him, uh, you know, with his head lifted up, with his legs in the air and with his hands in the air as if he was about to defend. Now, that was probably a situation where, you know, sometimes when guys get uh, knocked out, their, you know, body fixates like uh, their hands or their legs or even their neck fixate in one, you know, in this specific position and they're out cold, they're unconscious. But they're still, you know, their hands aren't wobbly. They're fixated in this moment. So I'm not sure what's the, you know, biology behind this. But, you know, I guess their their muscles get tense or, or so on, whatever. But, I mean, I could see that uh, in this situation, Herb got the impression probably that, you know, the guy is on the ground, but he's still trying to defend. What discredits this impression is the fact that... Uh, Tell me his name again, the one that won the fight. Uh, Trinaldo. Trinaldo. That Trinaldo um, waited before continuing to punch, uh, waiting before continuing the fight. So I don't know. I mean, it was a weird situation. I mean, I think that obviously Trinaldo's punches weren't necessary. And the fact that he, you know, um, showed constraint, I guess, is, is, is a sign of his great sportsmanship. So I think that the fight could have been stopped right there there and then when, you know, he, um, he knocked his opponent down. But, uh, but 
I'm, you know, I'm not blaming Dean too much. I mean, I, I get his point of view. And uh, I think it's natural, I guess, for referees, you know, to make these sort of uh, make these sort of mistakes once every you know once in a while. So I don't know. I mean, as I've said, I, was I do I think that it's a late stoppage? Yes. Do I think that Herb Dean is at fault? No. Yeah, the thing. I mean, obviously, most people would acknowledge that refereeing is a really tough job, and like, um, yeah, knowing when to stop the fight. To not stop it earlier and to not to not stop it too soon and to not stop it too late like that's quite a big challenge i do think there were quite a few quite a few details that make it seem that it was definitely a late stoppage like when your opponent stops hitting you as if like looking at you like what are you doing just stop the fight i mean that's a sign usually fighters like they're just going until somebody tells them to stop like they're not observing like their opponent like is he out is he not completely out and the fact that he stopped i mean yeah it shows that he's a sportsmanship it shows that he's extremely experienced and like um yeah he but but also like he might know something because i mean he's as close to him as the referee and like i think like he should have uh, yeah that that was weird that, that short moment when he's looking at the referee and like he's like no 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 go go hit him a couple more times i definitely yeah i'm sure that Ronaldo didn't uh, he didn't do this and he wouldn't do this but you know from a you know from this kind of funny perspective you could technically imagine a situation where someone would uh, uh, use uh, you know where would someone would manipulate this kind of situation like let's say a fighter knocks his opponent down and uh, his opponent isn't out yet but the one that uh, knocked his opponent down stops doesn't do anything looks at the referee with the idea that i want to give an impression that that's it the fight's over you know you can stop it now and so on and then i mean just to, to avoid these kind of manipulations if you know what if you understand what i'm saying i guess the referee should, uh, I don't know, not always uh, count on these situations where uh, where the dominant fighter stops for a moment or the dominant fighter stands still and, and is looking at him. I feel like that wouldn't really happen. Like, that'd be too risky and possibly detrimental if you were to stop and the fight is not stopped. You're just giving your opponent time to recover and to get out of that spot. So I don't think fighters really abuse that and be like um like if the guy stops like if, like in gage versus Cerrone, like he knows that his opponent isn't gonna do anything and like um yeah they're not gonna stop wait for the guy to recover maybe the the referee is gonna stop the fight maybe not i think that's just too risky um Probably, yeah and the thing with with refereeing um like people when people are uh are asking who's the best referee out there and like names such as Herb Dean or Big John McCarthy get mentioned and the thing is I just don't see like when I look at referees I don't see great referees I see horrible referees like um like the like the Asian referee Yamasaki I think and Mm -hmm. then I see and then I see and then I see fine referees like Herb Dean and and the others like it is such a tough job and like people look at it as if it's the first questionable stoppage of Herb Dean but he had quite a few and it's not 
most of them aren't late stops. Just most of them, people say, oh, it was too early. Um, I remember, I remember when Aspen Ladd was fighting uh, uh, in the main event, and she was stopped 14 seconds into the first round, also by Herb Dean, and everybody was saying like that's way too, way too early, way too soon of a stoppage. And and I agree, like she was tight, she could have gotten a tile shot and. And um, yeah, so Herb Dean, I think he has, like, just as, not most referees, but the good, the, the, the decent referees, like, he has some early stoppages, he has some late stoppages, most of them are, like, uh, most of them are optimally in the middle, so yeah, it is a tough job, I don't know how, how to make it so that, um, I feel like, I mean, it's better if, if there are more early stoppages than late stoppage stoppages um and if this wasn't a title fight so like you wouldn't you, you shouldn't have made it gone that early far. stoppage more early than late stoppages is better for fighter for, for, for fighters health but you know um more late stoppages than early stoppages would uh, you know guarantee us a clearer answer every time who's won the fight I mean, you know, these, I, I think that these kind of mistakes are unavoidable in such a job as a referee. I agree with you that, you know, um, uh, therefore it would seem that there are bad referees and just decent referees, you know, because the decent, what makes a referee decent, I think, in, is uh, the fact that you've got a lot of experience and you've got strict rules. Why, why and what are you doing in specific situations? What I like about Herb Dean is that he has arguments and reasons for every decision that he makes. Every time, at least most of the time, uh, that, uh, you know, there's some sort of a controversy or someone questions his decision, he has his reasons, which he usually explains and he, you know, um, explicitly states about why he did one or the other decision. And I think that's important. And mistakes were, you know... Um, applying this, applying his, uh, you know, certain rules and experience will unfortunately result in, 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 in some early or late stoppages. These kind of mistakes are unavoidable in such a job, you know? I mean, I don't think that you can say that, uh, you know, a good referee doesn't make mistakes at all. No, I think that a good referee is just, you know, consistent. Um, he has reasons for every decision that he makes. And he is looking at every situation, you know, analytically, and he is trying to be, you know, um, trying to learn from his mistakes and so on. So, I mean, in my mind, you know, as I've said, yeah, it was a problematic situation. And yes, the fight could have been stopped earlier. But uh, this does not discredit Herb Dean at all in my eyes. But as I've said, that's just one part of the situation. Another part of the situation is you know the whole um, the whole relationship between commentators and referees and all the people that are around the octagon during the fights because one of the things that Herb Dean concentrated most uh, in his uh, response that he uploaded to YouTube is the fact that a commentator should never scream these things like stop the fight during the fight because I think that he mentioned there are uh, three people that can say it a medic um a fighter's corner and there might be someone else i might be forgetting something but uh, i mean 
it's important for the referee to hear if the medic says that, you know, you have to stop the fight, there's something that you're not seeing and it's medically, you know, uh, impossible, you shouldn't medically allow the fight to continue. Or if uh, some of the corners is uh, throwing in the towel. So I guess uh, I would agree with uh, Herb Dean that, you know, as much as you would like, as much as you empathize with the situation or with the fighters, uh, as in Dan Hardy's case, it's not okay, you know, uh, to try to interfere with the fight when you're a commentator. It 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 would never give good results. And uh, if you would, you know, if we would hypothetically have a situation where a commentator would have an effect of uh, on the fact when the fight is stopped, it would be a very bad precedent for the future. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, 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 for me, the stoppage was clearly way too late. And the thing that I didn't like about Herb Dean's response is that, like, he was really confident that it wasn't a late stoppage. Like, he was just blaming, he was just blaming Hardy for, for voicing his opinion. And I think he totally has the right to do that like uh, in the perfect world the fight gets stopped at the most uh, uh, optimal point and then and uh, either by physician or by the referee and the commentator doesn't have to shout stop the fight but here i think that didn't happen and most people agree there was too late of a stoppage and that his opponent, like the way he throws up, like it reminded me of the way Ben Askren throws up in after Masvidal. It didn't, it didn't look to me like a defensive position. It was just the natural body's position to like shell up. It wasn't really like um or like stop or like the guy if he. I guess, but I still, I think that we should keep in mind the fact that, as I've said, you know, like, I think we got a better angle of the, of his fall, of Herbert's fall than Herb Dean did himself. Because uh, if I'm understanding the situation correctly, it might be that I'm wrong, but if I'm understanding it correctly, you know, that during the fall itself, when Herbert fell, fell down, Herb Dean was behind Trinaldo's back. And when he walked, you know, to see the situation, you know, from the side to have a clear view, he saw it was the moment he saw Herbert lying down with his hands and feet up in the air, you know. So he didn't see the fall itself. He when he, you know, walked around Ronaldo's back, he saw Herbert lying on the ground and he saw him with, you know, his hands and feet frozen in the air and and and. Uh, and maybe that could be one of the reasons why, you know, he got the impression that it's a defensive stance. I agree with you. Yes. When you're looking, you know, especially a second, a third time, the way he got knocked down. I mean, it was it at it, by then it becomes obvious, you know, that uh, that it's not uh, a defensive position. It's a position of the person who's, you know, probably out cold. I'm glad that Dan Hardy that what he said because yeah um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take a quick bathroom break and be right back in a second so let's end this podcast with talking about your martial arts journey um we both practiced different martial arts as kids i did 
mostly judo you did uh, you practiced kyokushin karate you were quite obsessed about it so yeah what was about karate that made that made you so passionate and um have you wondered if you were to choose a different martial art how would have it changed you as a person would you have been as obsessed as you were i mean you know the possibilities or alternatives are endless you know the reason I first got into it had nothing to do with the sport itself, you know, because I, when I started uh, it in fourth grade, it was just because my friends, you know, started it and they said, come join us. It's really fun. It's interesting. And at first glance, you know, because uh, as in most of, uh, you know, branches of karate in Kyokushin, you have this, you know, this part of it, which has, which is not fighting exactly which is, you know, mostly learning new techniques, like, you know, just just as it would be in shadow boxing and learning these so-called katas, you probably know that about them. So uh, there was quite a lot of this, of this, you know, not strictly combat technique part of it in the beginning. And as, you know, as I grew older, as uh, I, you know, kept uh, climbing up the key ranks, as, as I got new belts, um, there was the part of, uh, of it that's uh, pure fighting, there was a lot more of it. So, yeah, um, the things that got me hooked up so much, I guess, I guess there were a couple of them. One could be applied probably to any striking martial art, was the fact, you know, that especially when you're a kid, or, an, or when you're an early teenager, it's very easy to, you know, have this extremely cool image of martial arts itself. And I had this image in my head and it, you know, it came from Kung Fu movies, it came from Jackie Chan, it came from some anime. And when, you know, you're, you're practicing martial arts, you're sort of, a, you know, reliving this thing that you're watching and it seems cool to you. So, and you get to, I don't know, experience this coolness with your own body. So I guess uh, that was one of the things that kept me hooked up and uh, and it could have been achieved, you know, if I was doing boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai and so on. So in because of this reason, it could have been any other martial art. But there is also one thing that, you know, um, kept me hooked up and I think it could not have been achieved with uh, other martial arts was the fact that, I don't know, from from when I was 14, around, or 14, 15, and uh, as I got older, you know, these um, sparring sessions that we had, we didn't call them sparring sessions, but uh, with the ones that we had, um, they were they were an extremely, you know, cleansing and freeing experience. Because uh, in Kyokushin, you don't throw punches to the head. You only throw punches to the body. and But kicks, or you throw them to the legs, to the body, to the head. So kicks go, go everywhere, but punches you only have to the body. And because you don't throw punches to the head, you, um, you don't endanger your opponent that much. You're not that, uh, in that much of a danger um, yourself during sparring sessions. And you're allowed, I, th I don't know, I... I feel as if um, you're allowed to, you know, be 
be more free and get more wild during sparring sessions. You're still reserved and you're still, you know, being careful and trying, you know, if you feel that the situation is start to, starting to get disbalanced, you know, you're not um, beating your opponent to death or anything. But I remember very clearly that I had these sort of, as I've said, you know, cleansing experiences like at the end of a training session, like we've had... Uh, a training session for an hour and so on and we have three last fights like you know uh, two three two minute rounds or something and i know and i feel that you know i'm all tired i'm all sweaty but i'm starting to fight my friends and i'm having extreme fun i'm having extreme fun because you know they're allowing themselves to be free i'm allowing myself to be free we can do many things and not hurt each other extremely you know because uh what can I say if I would compare, you know, Kyokushin to boxing or kickboxing? It takes uh, way more experience and way more intelligence. It seems, to, it seems at least to me, you know, I'm an amateur, so don't take my words for granted. But uh, it would seem to me that it takes more experience and more intelligence in boxing or kickboxing to allow yourself to, you know get this pleasure and freeness in fighting, but to take care of your opponent at the same time. Because if you allow yourself to be too free in a boxing or kickboxing match, it's very easy, you know, to hurt your opponent seriously or to get hurt by your opponent seriously and so on. So in Kyokushin, I had, you know, this, this, uh, these experiences where, you know, I mean, uh, I, can, I can fight in a, I can fight hard, but at the same time, you know, I'm not beat up too much. I have no brain concussions or whatever at, at the end of the session. So, so it was really nice. And, uh, and I didn't uh, feel any, you know, uh, since I didn't participate in any boxing or kickboxing, I didn't think of the fact that you can't throw, you know, punches to the head. I didn't think it, of it as anything bad or that anything's missing and so on. It seemed to me so natural and it seemed to me like a very good thing only after a while when i started doing some muay thai training only then did i noticed okay there's a whole nother area of fighting that i never got to explore and only then you know i i i i, I understood that okay kyokushin has this uh, this 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 I don't know, empty spot in it, you know, like where there's no protection of your head from your opponent's punches. There's no that there's not that much of head movement and so on. But, you know, that's another area talking about Kyokushin itself. Yeah, I I, I think that it's uh, what what kept me hooked up to it is this thing that that uh, you're allowed to have, you know, very nice free fights and uh, but uh, but you don't hurt yourself that much yeah i mean yeah. when you had this uh, sort of uh i don't know how transformative of a moment when you realize that muay thai allows like different kind of techniques punches and so on like you can only imagine how would you feel if you tried grappling arts where like <laughs> completely different and everything's uh, or like mma where everything is allowed and like uh, you, you, like this freedom moment that you feel this freeing uh this freeing aspect uh, is in my opinion enhanced way more and yeah i i tried 
different things uh, like most of my background is in judo um i did do quite a bit of martial arts mma uh, and i do find it the most freeing and i feel like all the martial arts uh, gives this but i in my opinion mostly jujitsu and uh, and mma in, in specific but like these uh, these things that um it gives you humility because like in jujitsu like no matter how good you are you are gonna get tapped like you are gonna get submitted and you are gonna lose eventually like uh, if you're a pro there's gonna be people at your level there's gonna be masters and you're always gonna lose to somebody but it also gives you like for me it like martial arts training and mma in specific not so much judo it give me a an insane confidence in hand so, and at the same time these two things like it makes you more confident and more humble at the same time and yeah it it also like this freeing moment like uh, no matter what job you're working or like what you're studying it's just like you can let it all out at the gym and that's that's true for all martial arts but i feel like the reason why i like uh, jujitsu or judo the most is because like um I feel like you can definitely go way more all out in those sports than in than in striking arts because like uh, you can basically go like 90% or 100% not really injure your opponents if you tap out early enough and like the like if you get m most of the injuries at the gym happen by like you're injuring yourself not your opponents that's how I go on my knee and that's like uh, yeah like if it's not competition then probably you that that's gonna injure yourself and yeah that's that's the main reason why i really like jiu-jitsu and and grappling sports in general just because uh, for the most part you can go all in not injure your opponent yeah but you know if i were to advocate striking sports i would say that you know this experience of going all out it this uh, does not have to include you know um striking and 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 kicking with full power i mean what I got in the sparring sessions in Kyokushin and what I also um, started to get a bit in sparring sessions in Muay Thai when I got a bit better was the, this experience of get going all out without punching in your full power. I mean, you get this experience from, you know, um, the fight itself, from the volume of, you know, your punches and kicks and so on, from, you know, putting uh, all of your energy into, you know, Finding, finding holes in your opponent, finding ways to, you know, um, counterattack his attacks and so on. I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, despite the fact that I guess in striking sports, you have in striking, uh, you know, fights, you have to uh, put to way more uh, restrictions on your power compared to grappling. Despite that, you still have this experience of, you know, Going all, going all out, letting yourself free and so on. Just, uh, I guess, not in terms of power, but in terms of this, I don't know, psychological experience. Yeah, I feel like like both sports have different moments, like like throwing a punch, throwing a kick. I feel like that's that's extremely freeing and, and a great dopamine rush that you get. And, uh, and in jiu-jitsu or something, I feel like submitting someone, like they're saying, like, you won and um yeah you're just completely disarming your opponent i think that's a huge dopamine rush that you get and um yeah that's just different things like in striking like i love hitting the 
the the punching bag i love hitting the pads and that's another another thing where like when you're hitting pads you can go completely all out and you feel like yeah you just give all your energy to to sever holding the pads um so yeah both of them have their pluses and minuses that's what i would ask a question like you know for you because you have way more ex you have some experience in grappling and i have no experience in grappling at all but i mean if we there's you could also compare these two spheres on this aspect that uh, when you have training sessions and when you spar during training sessions um in striking sports whatever it would be you know boxing Shokushin, Muay Thai or whatever, um, most of the time you don't have a clear winner, you know, you just spar to the end of the round, uh, the coach tells you that you should stop and that's it, you know, and while I guess in, you know, grappling sports when, when, when you're rolling with someone, most of the time you're probably going to have a clear winner and it would seem to me, if I think about myself, if I were to, you know, to start some grappling sports, that uh, I don't know, it would seem that in training sessions, I wouldn't want that much uh, of this element of competition. Like, am I losing or am I winning? I, I think that at least for me personally, it, would it might become a tiring factor for my psychology if I would start counting. Okay, today after my training session, I got tapped out, uh, you know, seven times. And and if I if I would start counting, you know, I won seven times, and but I lost fourteen times, and I'm disappointed in myself. And this would put this would put a lot of pressure on me. It would seem to me that it's easier, you know, for me to have these sparring sessions in striking sports because I don't have this pressure because nobody's counting who's winning or who's losing because no, no, it's not that easy to tell, you know. I feel like you really need to try out jiu-jitsu and see because it's like that's the main thing that hooks people is like this game aspect. Like in football, you're not saying like, oh, like why are we keeping score? Like if I lose, I oh, feel yeah, bad I afterwards. I guess. Don't feel bad. Like, still get this. That's the thing. Grappling. Feel amazing. Like, it is like you win. It, like, you can still lose in the upcoming fights. You're still constantly learning. And then when you get submitted, you don't feel that bad. Like, yeah, you. You had nice technique how did you do that you're curious teach me how and like uh, yeah in striking has amazing benefits but yeah like like the most clear cut if you get knocked out it's not fun and even when you knock out someone i haven't knocked out anyone but i i don't think it like i hear people saying that it's not fun <laughs> like you do win most decisively but but like yeah like when you submit someone you feel great they feel great because they learn something like yeah it's i feel like it's the difference like yeah it, it doesn't feel that bad to lose in, in grappling sports and yeah it, it's definitely something i feel like most people right now like because of social media because of like so many people are addicted to games they're they're really addicted to this aspect of like winning losing ranking up and like like joe rogan got really like for his recent comments about games, a lot of people were really mad about him like every other day. But yeah, the thing like, uh, like 
you can use this energy and this addictiveness that you feel towards games you can use it towards games to become better become professional and so on but if you don't see really a path forward you could try other things where this gameness is in it and for me that's martial arts that's grappling that's like like all the things you love about games you can find them in mma and also improve your shape feel better physically and yeah i just feel like that's a that's a way to hook younger folks especially don't you think i guess i guess i mean you know um it's 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 important for every person to find the right sphere in life where you you know yeah where you could implement your competitiveness um i mean if a person is using his competitiveness successfully in video games it's great for him i mean if he's using his competitiveness successfully in martial arts great for him as well you know I mean, for me personally, when I said this comparison between striking sports and grappling sports, maybe that's exactly uh, because, you know, I, you know, use my competitiveness in, you know, my professional sphere of life, you know, in, in, in uh, academics and humanities where, you know, it's, it's uh, where I, you know, work as a professional and there it's, it's very important for me, you know, to be the best, to make another win, another win and so on. And when I'm this, you know, casual fan of martial arts and a casual practitioner of martial arts, and when I go to training sessions, I really want to have fun. I mean, because fun is, uh, is, I don't know, maybe it's a weird motivation. Maybe others have other motivations. But for me, one of the main reasons why, you know, I keep going, in this case, during the last few years, Muay Thai training, it's because sparring sessions are fun to me. I feel, you know, it's 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 that actually yeah, it's a bit uh, like a game where, you know, you're finding new ways to, you know, attack your opponent, you're finding new ways to, you know, dodge your opponent and so on. And uh, and uh, it's the thing that psychologically I'm looking for the most, the fun part of it. But uh, but yeah, if 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 uh, if a person is taking this thing more seriously and if a person is, you know, um looking for uh, a place where he would, I don't know, um, fully realize himself or herself and 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 become like a, a professional even and so on. Then I guess yes, this competitive element is 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 good to is good to use. Yeah, I feel like if you don't want to be a professional athlete, I think there is a there is a good balance that you need to keep between getting too obsessed and throwing all like it's basically the same with gaming like if you keep a good balance don't play too much it can be a great hobby learn new skills etc or you can get too obsessed and then it uses up all your time you feel like you're wasting time and so like um yeah you need to keep good balance still keeping it fun um yeah a lot of people benefit from keeping it competitive enough so you want to improve and and learn and not give up uh, when we talk about, uh, yeah, I feel like young folks could really benefit from it. I've heard the idea, I think it's also from Joe Rogan's podcast, to implement martial arts uh, at schools uh, as part of PE. Do you think that's, uh, that could be useful, like some kind of martial art? It would be hard for me to imagine such a situation where this could be possible, you know. But if it were possible... I think it would be fucking amazing. I mean, I think it would be great 
as uh, you know, um, usually students you know, at school, they don't have that much of a choice. Like, I don't know, um, when it's warm outside, at least in my schools, all throughout uh, my years of, of going to school, if it's warm outside, you play soccer, football. If uh, it's cold, you play basketball, and that's it, you know. You have this uh, ability to, to, you know, um, uh, to, to, to choose, you know, from different sports, it would be great overall. And also, I guess when we talk about the psychological aspect of martial arts and, you know, the psychological improvements that people get from practicing martial arts, I guess a case could be made that uh, practicing martial arts during physical education could at least, if not solve, then do something good for bullying problems, I guess. Because, you know, the aggressiveness that uh, that some students have, they would have uh, a place where they could, you know, um, put that aggressive energy, but in a safe way to use that aggressive energy in a way that is, uh, you know, safe and it does not hurt others that much. And they're, you know, um, they would maybe also have this cleansing experience that would uh, would uh, calm their, uh, you know, brain down and so on. Because... Uh, the thing that you mentioned earlier, which I think is um, interesting and and yeah, it's important to emphasize that when you when people speak about you know the benefits of martial arts, they often say that uh, you get this uh, you know you become more humble and you become more confident uh, in yourself. And I don't think that it's a contradiction. I don't think that it's a paradox because when we think of, uh, of a you know the opposition of humbleness is a cocky person and most of the time cockiness symbol you know signalizes that a person has some inner you know inner fears inner complexes some inner you know um i don't know um the person is not so sure of himself inside and because of that because he's trying to compensate those inner fears or inner anxieties and so on the person becomes uh, you know cocky so what humbleness usually signalizes is a person who doesn't feel the need to compensate for any inner fears, any inner anxieties, any inner weaknesses and so on, and therefore someone who is self-confident. So I think that, you know, these two parts of, a, of you know, personality, like humbleness and self-confidence, I think that, you know, they're just on the surface, they might, might seem, you know, in a... Uh, contradictory or paradoxical relationship. I think that they actually complement each other very well. And if it was, uh, if there was an opportunity, you know, to to improve on on this great combination between self confidence and humbleness in students in schools, and it could be done probably through martial arts. I think that yeah, it would it would uh, it would be very helpful and very very beneficial for. For not only for the way that students experience themselves, for the relationships between students, and uh, through for the whole, you know, psychological atmosphere of school. Yeah, um, that was quite a long answer, but yeah, you do agree as well that yeah, they should be, they definitely could have a positive place in at schools. Um, and yeah, here in Lithuania where we live, um, like there's not really that many choices. Side the Sometimes basketball is encouraged, sometimes football, 
or in America they do have wrestling to some extent but not really other martial arts and I do think that in this aspect also grappling sports would sort of surpass striking because when you take bullies and sort of their victims in the same room it's much safer if they do grappling than than Probably, they do striking yeah. and and yeah another thing like about this i feel like it's positive both for the bullies and for the bullied i feel like uh, yeah like the people who get bullied they'd be more confident they wouldn't get into these kind of situations the bullies would get much more humble they they have a place where to spend their energy like all the positive benefits of having a community and like caring about other people like all of them would be enhanced and and like i mean it's an experiment that i like could go great but with the bullying i don't see i feel like they're I do think that would not necessarily solve the bullying problem, but definitely improve it. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, and also, I guess, one of the reasons why, you know, grappling and especially jiu-jitsu could have a better case, as you've said, in this situation, is uh, that I can't tell it from my own experiences, and I, since I have no experience in grappling, but from what I often hear is the fact, you know, that um, in jiu-jitsu, you know, you can often win even though you're not that physically stronger sure, but just because sure. of your creativity of because the way your brain works the techniques that you know and so on and then because i i guess what often you see in school is that you know um in school fights street fights or whatever in in, in bullying situations often um, the bullies are just physically stronger you know often you see the situations where the bullied are you know weaker their confidence shrinks and so on because they're physically weaker but if the person that is weaker is able to win just because of his or her you know mindset creativity techniques that he or she knows the, the 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 their thinking process and so on i think that yeah that would you know boost up their confidence it could give uh, some humbleness to the ones that um that the ones that tend to bully because of the fact that they you know are just stronger so overall you know this this interesting dynamic of which i think which i guess probably in jiu-jitsu um is 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 uh, you know stronger than somewhere else i think that it would benefit students quite much yeah i think it should it should be great all around but yeah, listen, it was great to have this spontaneous podcast. Um, I would love to do it after another sick UFC event, maybe DC versus uh, Miocic or some other fight night. But yeah, before I go, I just want to ask you one last question. So we're both fans of the sport, which is uh, mixed martial arts, and um, you have achieved more impressive results than I have. But like uh, my question to you is if you met a troubled kid or someone who you think could benefit from some sort of martial arts, what would your elevator pitch for them be? How would you convince them in 30 seconds or so to go hit the pads and join some kind of martial arts gym? Gosh, you're putting me quite on the spot here. Um, I would need to, to contemplate and give I guess, I guess my, my, my answer would be, 
I guess I would say that uh, whatever is the kind of troubles that you're experiencing, you know, whatever it is, family troubles, troubles with your friends and so on, um, troubles with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with your parents, whatever, whatever it would be, this thing right here, the gym, this could be like an experiment zone where you would fight out your problems and then the confidence and the victories that you achieve here, you'll be able to carry them to the other places that are problematic in your life. In other words, you know, um, start from here because here you'll be able to, you know, solve problems, overcome difficulties and so on. And you'll see that this will automatically allow you to improve, your, you know, whatever it is, the sphere in your life that has problems and, and, and difficulties and so on. So, you know, um, it's a little bit sketchy. I know the answer. I mean, um, I would still need to, 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 to think. I think anyways, the best, uh, the best thing to, to do is if possible is to listen to another person, you know, and, um, to, to, to maybe not have this sort of a general answer for everybody, but to really, you know, listen to the, what specific is going on in the life of the other person and then try to make these connections with the, his or her problems and you know the benefits that we both know from martial arts okay first of all that's way too long of a elevator pitch the person <laughs> Sorry. has already left the elevator uh, secondly <laughs> that's yeah that's a great answer i do agree with everything you said i would uh, i would think i would approach it through the uh, if it was somebody who's uh, who's troubled and they're an adolescent at that sort of age, I would approach it through the sort of addictive gaminess uh, that that martial arts gives them, at least to hook them. And then the humility, the camaraderie, the all these aspects would keep them. There. But yeah, that's that's a great way to end the show. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, great, great thanks, replacement. Um... And so yeah, that'll be it, folks. I'll see you next time. See ya.